I always use the analogy that a lot of times in the business world, we form these teams and we, it's like throwing your team into a pool and saying to them, okay, now I want you to swim together and I want you to do it in beautiful synchrony, but you don't teach them how to do that. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Michael Paperno. And Michael is a principal and the founder of Comvia Group, and that's uh, commu- what communications is life. Michael, communications is the way. What um, what does the name mean? Because yeah. I think it, it kind of speaks to what we're going to talk about today. It does actually. It's a, a combination of uh, two Latin prepositions. One's com, which means with, mm-hmm. and via, which means road. So when I founded the company, it's a leadership communication uh, coaching and training company. I I wanted something that said, you know, we're here for you on your journey. And that's what that word says to me. We had this great conversation about the work that you do, how you teach people to lead through communication, and particularly with what leaders are expected to to be able to do today, it's become so relevant. So maybe we'll just start there. And for those listening, you can just describe a bit about what Comvia does, what your background is, and, uh, and how you work with clients. Sure, absolutely. So what Comvia does is, I I say we work with people in one of three ways, typically. Number one, I've been a public speaking and presentation coach for for almost three decades now. So anyone with high stakes meetings or important presentations, we help them craft their story, uh, present very dynamically, get ready to handle Q&A. But then we also do a lot of leadership development programs. And those are usually focused on interpersonal communication, helping leaders be the best leader they can be for the people that they serve and that they lead. And then the third uh, thing that we do, kind of the third bucket, is what I call workplace relationships coaching and training. Mm -hmm. And that focuses on really helping teams understand each other on a deeper level than they ever have so that they can communicate with each other most effectively, and really, I always say, help set each other up for success rather than uh, function in, in, a, in an environment where there's either resentment or, or barriers mm-hmm. or, or friction. So those are kind of the three ways that we help folks. What's really become relevant and increasingly important is, I think, this last piece that you talk about, you know, this, I think you use the term in our prep call of relationship intelligence, you know, how you can understand and build like relationships and in the world that we're in today, where you know we're in the Great Resignation, there's constant turnover. Teams are forming together, and yet they're they're almost never in person. I think this skill is so critical. So, can can you just explain a bit more about what you're seeing with your clients in this area, and and what they're telling you about the the growing need for relationship intelligence? Sure, and we're seeing it much more right now, like you said, with the high more hybrid work environments and. And communication's tough when you're in person getting it right most of the time, let alone with uh, mm-hmm. teams that are dispersed, you're geographically dispersed. I always use the analogy that a lot of times in the business world, we form these teams and we, it's like throwing pe- your team into a pool 
and saying to them, okay, now I want you to swim together and I want you to do it in beautiful synchrony, <laughs> but you don't teach them how to do that. <laughs> and we see that over and over and over in the business world. And I've had a very varied career in different types of businesses. And it's always been a pain point for me that we don't take the time to step back and say, you know, this is a relationship that <laughs> we're in here in this work uh, work environment. It's not a family. It's different from that, but it is a relationship. And what if we could get insights on each other about what motivates each of us internally, what we value, and then also how we experience conflict so we can navigate that together Hmm. and help each other out of it rather than push each other further into it. And then also, there's a lot of strengths assessments out there, which I like. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of them. But I'm a real believer that it's not, oh, you have these top strengths that you bring to the table because that's what your talents are and you, everything else just falls by the wayside. I'm a big believer in we all have access to the same strengths, hmm. but the way they show up for me is going to be different than the way they show up for you. Hmm. And if we, had, if we were talking about all of this in our work lives, boy, wouldn't it be easier for me to communicate with you in a way that's going to resonate with you? It totally That's what I believe is, is missing. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, so much of the language of team formation is, you know, here's what we have to execute. Here are your here's what you own. Here are your deliverables. There's really no language around the interpersonal. And why do you think that is? I think we uh, it. I think we move too fast, and I think that we do get wrapped up in the goals and the objectives, which are important. Look, mm-hmm. I have, you know, every business was established to do something, to change the world, to make something, to make the world better in some way. Um, and we get laser focused on that. And, and a lot of times, I mean, I think that's why that I'm so overjoyed that I see so much talk about purpose and values and mission mm-hmm. these days, because we're focusing on that more. And I think that that's wonderful. But I also think we can do, do better and talk more about how we can build each other up from a relationship and communication standpoint. So I think when I think back to my, uh, you know, my both my um, undergraduate and my graduate education, a lot of it was, you know, practical skills that you're going to need and, and all of that. But we don't teach necessarily people how to be good communicators other than maybe a public speaking. Course. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you get here, at least in the United States. Yeah, no, I can't can't say Canada is a lot a lot different. I think it's um, in this interpersonal relationship. Communication is really something that is does take time, as you said. You know, people move fast, and it's it's messy. And so I think mm-hmm. you know it does require that mm-hmm. empathy, that understanding of others, and really almost in a non hierarchical fashion, right? Because it's as opposed to just well, I've got the you know the title, so you'll have to do what I say. So how, how do you go mm-hmm. about doing it? Yeah. And I and I know that. The assessment that you use and the one that I was fortunate enough to, to take ahead of time, I'm going to be, I guess I'm going to be your guinea pig, plays a part of it. But maybe just kind of yeah. give, give a quick overview of your approach to, to fostering this kind of relationship intelligence. Sure. I use a, what's called the Strength Deployment Inventory or abbreviated as STI 2.0. And I've taken a lot of assessments over the years and I was looking for one that would really help me help my clients be better communicators and be better leaders. And when I found this one, I was, it really, really fit like a, like a glove for me because what it does is it analyzes, you know, it's personality assessment mm-hmm. and also a strength assessment. And it, it analyzes what motivates you internally. So 
to give your, you and your listeners a, a visual, you know, we all have a blend of, of three motives, a concern for people, a concern for processes, and a concern for performance. And they all look a little bit differently, but we're all different blends of those. Hmm. And that's how, that's kind of our anchor at the bottom of the ocean. That's mm-hmm. what anchors us. That's what we value. And what the SDI says is, okay, well, let's learn about what we, we all value on this team. You have different results than me, and we can explain that to your listeners in, in a little bit. But once you know that, then you can actually, the assessment allows you to see, okay, I can see what motivates BART, and it's different from me. How can I make sure that my communications are tailored to, to BART so that they're going to resonate but not being fake. I'm not talking mm. about changing the, who I am in order to accommodate you. I'm talking about honoring where you are mm-hmm. when things are going well, when, when, you know, where you like to operate mm. and honoring that it's different than me and just trying to spend a little bit of that extra moment to, to tailor my communications to you. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, it resonated with me so much about two things you said. You know, the first is to really, un- when you understand your audience, you can tailor your communication. And the second, that this is actually not inauthentic, but just the opposite. It's the very definition of authenticity. And I think about our approach, which begins with mindset and really this idea that you need to be audience centric and you also need to speak with conviction. And so I, I think it makes perfect sense and it is work, but I think it's any leader who has that understanding of what will resonate is going to be more effective in their communication. So yeah, that, that really hit home for me. Great. And, and that's, I love that you made that point that it is work and it is definitely work, but it's work that's so worth it. Mm. Like in, for example, when we look at your, your results with the SDI, you're what they classify as a, a red green. Okay. So you have a healthy dose. Does that did that resonate with you when you saw your results? They did. They did. And now I'm I'm interested in having. I mean, like you, I've done many assessments, and I think this is one of the interesting things with assessments, right? There's anyone can take an assessment, but really the best practitioners bring it to life for the person and make it really something that you can act on. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to go under the microscope with you and for everyone listening here, they know I've done this in past podcasts. So tell me about being a red green. Good. Yeah. So a red green, you're motivated by assertiveness, but intelligent assertiveness and, and, and fairness in competition. So you generally would have a strong desire to develop strategies and assess opportunities and risks. And I know that that's kind of what you do for Mm -hmm. the Humphrey group, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're out there looking for business and, trying to get the strategies together that are going to make you successful. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So before we dive into my assessment, so maybe just to take a step back, when you look at SDI, when you're working with a client, like what are the, what would be the three big themes that you would want them to develop better self-awareness and, um, and going through this with you? The three big pieces of the assessment are, your motives, assessing your motives, and then being able to use that intelligence to also assess the motives of the other stakeholders, mm-hmm. the people you work with or your clients, whoever they may be. And that, again, that's that blend of people, process, and performance. And they're all good. All three motives are really wonderful things that we all need in the business world. But the fact is, is that we're all motivated a little bit differently mm-hmm. from each other with a different blend of those motives. Like, for example, in your results where you, you were that red-green process and performance, more process and performance oriented than me, I'm more of a blend of all three. So just knowing that about me could give you some insights into 
how to communicate with me that, in ways that are going to that are going to resonate right. with me. The the second is, and I think this is really valuable. And ever since I've taken this assessment, I've noticed this about myself: is how I experience conflict. Hmm. Because, and I'm not talking Bart about you know you and I are just having a discussion and we're we're disagreeing, but it's healthy and the, everything's fine. I'm not okay. conflicted. I'm not feeling uncomfortable. But if you if we start to push each other and maybe I'm getting pulled away from where I normally sit mm-hmm. in my blend of, of uh, motives because it's getting personal or I'm not feeling good, then I'm triggered into conflict. Mm. And we all, not all of us, but a lot of us behave very differently in, in conflict. You and I right. happen to, when we look at the results, experience it, experience it the same way. And I'd like to give your listeners an example of how I experience conflict. So if you trigger me, I will go into analysis mode. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave this, this, my, when things are going well, I'm a blend of all three. I'm flexible. I want to make sure the team feels there's coherence in the team, that we're all doing what all these pieces are working well together. But when I'm conflicted, I start to really analyze. Mm. Okay, let's slow things down. I want to know what happens. I want to get all the facts. I want to relieve mo- emotion out of it until I've really done my analysis. And if you knew that about me, you could give me that time to hmm. do that so that I can get out of conflict before I get pushed further down that hole of conflict. Hmm. So with, if you push me further, what will happen is then I'll assert because I've done the analysis for it. I've done, I've gone through everything. I really feel strongly that one of these three options is right. Let's pick one. We make a mistake. We'll fix it, but let's end this conflict now and, and just move ahead. Hmm. So that's how I would assert. Now you get, we get out of conflict. Great. I'm on my way back to feeling good about things. But if you continue to push me, that's where you hit that third stage of conflict where you're really at your wit's end, and I, I can bet you, Bart, you'll think about times in your career where you've been pushed to that point, mm-hmm. and it's often quite memorable. <laughs> yes. I can think of a few times, and I haven't yes. necessarily been proud of my behavior, but what I'll do then is I'll accommodate. I will say, because I've done the research, I've given you the options that I feel strongly are the right ways to resolve this. Obviously, I'm not being heard. Do what you want. Right. And that's how I go through it. And I didn't like those results at first when I saw them, because I usually think of myself, oh, I'm all about people. I love Hmm. to help people and build people up. But that is me to a T. And now that I can communicate that to folks when I am triggered and help them allow allow me to slow down and do the analysis, even if it's five minutes, Hmm. you're going to be more likely to help not push me further. So that was the second mm-hmm. thing, motives and conflict. And then the third and final is what strengths we all bring to the table as a team. And um, there are strengths that we're more likely to use, especially at work, mm-hmm. and there are strengths that we're less likely to use. My top strength is self-confidence, and my second top strength is my supportive nature. My third one is inclusive. When you look at the bottom of what, of what I'm you know, likely to use at work, the things I'm least likely to use at work, those are um, risk-taking, modest, and competitive, and competitive at the bottom. And that's so true. I'm not a very competitive person, which is interesting for an entrepreneur. But it, if, if people know that about me, you know, that, it's an interesting thing to know about me. But the fact that competitive is on the bottom, I need to be motivated to use that strength more so than the strengths that come natural to me at the top. 
The last piece that I'll talk about about strengths is, and this is really insightful um, when you when you learn this about yourself, is what's considered an overdone strength. And an overdone hmm. strength part is when I'm using a strength that normally works for me, and my intentions are, are good, I'm, they're well-intended, my use of the strength, but it stops working for you or the others that are in the room. And I'll give you an example of that. My top strength, is, one of my top strengths is, is self-confidence, and I am a very confident person. When I use that strength and it's no longer working with the people around me, they start to see me as arrogant. So, and I don't ever, I've been called arrogant three times in my, I can count them because it hurt me so much that I was called arrogant. I, I don't intend to be viewed that way, but if I continue to use a, that strength, that self-confidence strength, and it starts to turn people off in the room, I run the risk of being perceived that way, even though my intentions were hundred percent good. So I, it's really insightful for, for folks to look at their top overdone strengths because those are usually the things that tweak other folks and cause conflict when they overdo them. This is this is super helpful. And I think, you know, what I'm taking away first from a macro standpoint, this idea of mat motives, conflict, know your motives, know your conflict style, know your strengths, including this overdone strength, but also to really understand the same of the audience you're trying to reach. Now, obviously it'd be great if you know everyone could take this assessment and you could know yourself and you could have everyone you're dealing with take the assessment. But let, let's kind of start with the know yourself for people listening who might not have the opportunity to take this assessment, have the opportunity to get, you know, working with you. How would you advise people to begin to reflect on these three areas, motives, conflict style, and strengths to develop some self-awareness in this, in this way? I think one of the ways, I think it's harder to see it in yourself. Uh, it's easier to start by trying to analyze other folks that you deal with and mm. try to think about, okay, now that we know that everybody's a mix of people, process, and performance, try to kind of identify folks that you work with regularly and take mental note to yourself. You know, I think that person might have a good, healthy dose of performance in their motives, a real mm. concern for that. Uh, and, and rather than a necessarily a concern for people hmm. and, you know, performance is, you know, getting us to the goal, making sure we achieve, making sure we're successful. Whereas that concern for people is let's make sure everybody's doing okay. Let's make sure people are feeling heard. And that process is more about let's make sure that we're being logical about mm -hmm. this, that we have a good plan, that we're being smart about how we go about it. And if you think about those blends, you could probably start saying, you know, I think that Thomas on that team is is probably right in the middle of a mix or, mm. oh, you know, uh, Janine is definitely a green. And it's great that she's a green. I mean, we need that. We need that that lot, that person who can really keep us on track and map things out and make sure that we're looking everything logically and, and, and objectively. So if you could start thinking about that, then what it's going to do is allow you to start saying, okay, well, maybe I could tweet this email instead of mm -hmm. writing it for me and write it for her in a way that because I'm thinking about what motivates her, what may connect with her more so than the words I would necessarily use in this email to, hmm. to accomplish what I need to get. So how much could you, so I like this idea of kind of starting to almost take out your, your notebook and create your, you know, your best guess on people. I think you're absolutely, I'm thinking about people in my life and work. Uh, and it is easier. So like 
for example, that process, you know, there are people I'm like, they just love that process mapping, you know, and get so into it. Mm-hmm. And then these people are always making sure we, ha- we have to make sure everyone's heard. So totally. Um, now, when you look at that, how, how much do you think it would be worthwhile then to go to people and say, hey, you know, I'm also trying to understand y- you so I can um, better, so I can deliver messages or communication to you that's really on point. What do you think? Or it, does this go back to the point you were saying earlier where it's really tough to see it in yourself? How do you, how do you think about that? I think when, once you've started to notice it in others, you'll be able to more easily notice it mm. in yourself. That's one of the neat things about the assessment. If you do it as a team, you automatically get access to everybody's mm. results. So, and you actually get community, actually the system has some really neat communication tips based on the motives. But like you said, not everybody can take this assessment, but I do think that you can, by observing other people and starting to try to, try, starting to identify where they might fall in this mix, you'll start to shed light into where you might fall. Now, some people might be able to, to say, oh, you know, I'm definitely a blue. I'm concerned for people all day long. And I thought I was, right. I, I thought I was going to have more of that blue in mind. But this, the assessment said to me, oh, you know, you've got that healthy dose of green, Michael, and then a smidgen of the red. And when I started to really think about me and my work behavior and my performance mm-hmm. and what mattered, I realized, yeah, I do have a big dose of, of process in me. Hmm. So it took a little bit of introspection even for me to say that these results were right <laughs> yeah. for me, even though I had them here in black and white and color. Which, which again, demonstrates, you know, you're, you may not know yourself as well as you think. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so let's shift to the conflict style, because I think, you know, knowing yourself, you know, the self-awareness is important, being able to tailor messages. But I think, you know, the conflict to me is really, you know, where the rubber hits the road and where you get some insights. As you develop greater insights about your conflict style, like, and we can put mine on, on display here. What should you do about it? So maybe just give me your kind of take on my conflict style and then how I should think, uh, you know, differently about it. Sure. Well, you're a, what we call a green, red, blue in your conflict sequence. So when you're first triggered in the conflict, and it's important to note, Lord, that sometimes we don't realize we've been triggered until we're starting to really get close to stage two. Um, but when you're in conflict, uh, your results say that you'll analyze the situation logically, hmm. try to get all the information. And if that doesn't work, you might lean on forcefully pressing for a logical resolution. So that's the assertion showing up. That's the red if you're pushed to stage two. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like you? I'm definitely analytical okay. in the yeah, as my starting point. That's absolutely the case, and and rather than emotional, you know, and that's that's how I enjoy discussing it. Um, but yeah, then um, I think that makes perfect sense. Okay, yeah, and then if you're pushed to that stage three, that kind of yeah. end, and it's important to note in conflict when you get pushed to that point, you kind of turn on this self-preservation mode. Mm. You lose focus on the problem and the others because you're just pushed to your wit's end. And that's where you, uh, you go blue. You will accommodate. So mm-hmm. basically maybe other have, others have more power in the situation or you're not feeling heard. So you surrender. You kind of give mm-hmm. up. That's totally accurate. You know, I, I get to the point where I say, you know, I just, I just don't want to battle about this anymore. It's not worth it. <laughs> And, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, 
is, as you said, you know, preservation, not wanting wanting to maintain, you know, respectful relationships. But I think the flip side is, you know, you can you can give up on something that could produce a good outcome. Um, and it, mm-hmm. I know for some of the most you know, toughest negotiations in my life, I've had to go further into the, into the red to stay uncomfortably in there. And it's not enjoyable for when it continues for a long Mm -hmm. time. So I would definitely always prefer to negotiate in the green, but I've had to kind of consciously say, all right, I'm going to be willing to flex into this (laughs) rather than walking Mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, and it's interesting because you and I have the same conflict sequence. We go, you know, through those stages in the same way. But looking at your results compared to mine, and I know your audience can't see it, uh, but you and I will both really analyze the situation. And then if we get pushed to stage two, um, what you just spoke about is, you know, if you have to hang in there, even though it's uncomfortable to assert, you will. And your results say that. My results mm. say. I'll spend a little bit of time result, uh, asserting, but I'll move more quickly to accommodating hmm. than you will. So I'm guessing then that for people listening who haven't taken the assessment, you can, though, begin to think about, hey, you know, if I'm getting, when I face triggering conflict, am I, do I go kind of an emotional argument? Do I just accommodate or walk away? Or am I really kind of getting into the intellectual? Is that is that how you should begin or ask other people to provide their assessment to you to t- develop a sense of how your model of handling conflict plays out? Yeah. And I think that asking folks, you know, when you know that I'm conflicted, what behavior change do you see? Mm-hmm. So people will all have always has said to me, oh, Michael, you go like you get quiet and you start processing. That's right. my analysis. Right. And that's what happens where normally I'm trying to make sure everything, you know, people process performance, everything's in balance. Um, someone who um, has goes blue in stage one, that desire to accommodate would be more like, okay, is everybody all right? Are we fe- how are we feeling about this? Let's mm-hmm. make sure that the voices that need to be in the room are in the room. And you're likely who, for people who in conflict move further from where they are when mm-hmm. they're feeling well, you're more likely to see it mm-hmm. and you can name it. Now, some people, like, for example, you're, you have a, that healthy dose of performance in your motivational value system. You happen to go green, but let's, let's, let's switch that. Let's say that you're someone who will actually go red in stage one conflict. Then I might not be able to pick up that you're conflicted, Bart, because mm. your behavior isn't changing that much from where you are when things are going well. And then oops, hmm. I could probably push you to stage two before I even know it. Right. So knowing, yeah, I, I see and that. that happens a lot when people say, oh, my God, you know, Jim, you're like really upset about this. I didn't even know this was a problem. Hmm. That's usually you missed the stage one trigger. And I can think of many folks in the past where I felt like that. I'm like, whoa, why are we here? Why is this so contentious right now? I didn't even realize something was wrong. Right. And in your experience in doing this, are there certain conflict sequences that are most common? I have, in my experience, I have not seen one that's most common. There's probably is data on that as to which one's most common. But I, I, I can tell you from my clients, I see a, a lot of our sequence, that green, red, blue, mm-hmm. the uh, analyze, assert, and accommodate. Um, and then I, I see a lot of folks that start with blue. Because conflict is uncomfortable. Right. 
And a lot of folks like to try to accommodate first to see if we can resolve this without things getting worse right? by conceding something, accommodating a bit. Does one style result in you getting taken more advantage of than another? <laughs> no, I don't think so. so there's not one better style. It, it's more just, there's not one better. That is correct. There's not one better style, but the insight into where you're like, how you're likely to behave in, in conflict can help you recognize it and can help you honor the fact that other people in the room are processing it differently. So instead of um, letting that friction get worse and potentially unintentionally, unintendedly triggering each other further, taking that step back and saying, okay, Bart processes this way, uh, Julia processes the, you know, experiences conflict this way, how can we work together to honor that mm. and help get each other out of stage one before we trigger each other to stage two? So when you have this knowledge then, of your own conflict, you can be more kind of self, you can step back as it's happening and, and do it. But you can also, when you know your audience, you can avoid putting them into a situation that will ultimately result in an ineffective negotiation or conversation. Is, is that the end goal that you can kind of say, hey, you know, how do we keep this at a place where we're both being heard, but we reach a resolution? Absolutely. And it, it comes down to conversations and it even comes down to how you write an email to that person when mm. you're in conflict. Because if you're thinking about how they experience it and potentially helping them rather than just pushing for your agenda, but helping each other get out of it, you're going to choose your words differently, mm. right from the subject line down to what you put in the email. Right. And so I guess it lets you shift. That's where you look at that advice that says, you know, don't hit send, take a breath. That's when you're sending it from the better, <laughs> from the first conflict mindset, one that is better suited to, or maybe the, from the one that's going to best suit your audience <laughs> rather than trigger them. Exactly. It's all about thinking about the human on the other end. And you talked about, Bart, in the beginning of, of, of our conversation about, hey, you know, why don't we, why aren't these interpersonal communication skills taught? Well, it's, they're, they're hard to teach. A lot of times you need to have, you know, go through certain experiences on your own. But I think one of the things we forget about in the business world is that there's a human on the other end of every single piece of communication. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we write our communications for ourselves and our agendas. And if you just take a minute and step back and look at what you're about to communicate and think, okay, how do I make this a little bit better? For them right and a little bit less about me you're going to start communicating in a way that's going to help not only improve relationships but help you get what you need more efficiently with less back and forth yeah i think that's that's really well said and it does take that time and it does take that consideration of the audience rather than just what you want now maybe that's a good segue to you know we do tend to lean into what we want what we're good at which is this third area that you're saying is really critical to develop self-awareness of and awareness of your audience is your strengths. Talk to me a bit about, you know, what should you really, where do you want to know yourself and your strengths, both in terms of the ones that you have and the ones that show up as overdone? Right. So your strengths are, are we all use, there's, in, in the language of the SDI, the strength deployment inventory, we all have access to 28 different strengths. And the way they show up for us at work are based not only on our experiences mm -hmm. and, and our learnings, but also our anchor, you know, what we're motivated by. 
So when we look at strengths, my top three strengths are self-confident, supportive, and inclusive. And your top three are cautious, ambitious, and reserved. Mm-hmm. Do those resonate with Absolutely. you strengths that you're more likely to pull out of your toolbox? Absolutely. I, I like the contrast between the cautious and ambitious, you know, because that to me sums it up. I've, I've always felt driven, but carefully driven. And so I always admire, for example, entrepreneurs who take these huge, bold bets that pay off because I never would do that. You know, to me, it's more of a methodical, careful process that I've followed through my life. So yeah, I think these definitely hit home. And I know at the bottom of my pyramid is risk taking. So it's, uh, it certainly fits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And we share that at the bottom. I have, I have risk taking modest and competitive at the bottom um, and risk taking is at the bottom for you as well. Now, does that mean we can't take risks for No, that's not what it means. But what it means is these are deeper in my toolbox because I'm less likely to use them at work, the ones that are at the bottom. Now, if you can, let's say you're my manager, right? And mm-hmm. you need me to be more risk-taking. If you can try to help tie that strength to what motivates me, because mm-hmm. now you know mm-hmm. what motivates me by, by thinking about it or even by taking this assessment, well, you can now try to help connect me, connect that strength to my motives and help me think about how to use it in a way that's authentic hmm. to me. Hmm. And are these fixed in your life, like as a person, or do these strengths change over time? The strengths change over time. And, and the assessment is done in two parts specifically. The first part of the assessment is assessing your motives and conflict sequence, because that's unlikely to change over okay. time. Uh, I've, I've heard that people have taken the assessment 20 years apart, and those results haven't changed much, if at all. The strengths, you know, we're evolving and we're learning Mm -hmm. how to use different strengths. And sometimes we're challenging ourselves. Like I do challenge myself to be more competitive because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm in a competitive business space Mm -hmm. and and I need to use that strength. So in five or six years with me flexing that muscle of connecting that strength to my motivation, it could move up. Hmm. It's probably never going to be in the top for me, but it could definitely move up as I learn to use it in a way that feels good for me. And so as you know your strengths, just as, um, you know, how does that affect your ability to communicate more effectively or how should it? The, the, the bottom strengths are very insightful for me because strengths that don't come naturally to me that other people, that come natural to other mm-hmm. people, I can be more likely to see them as overdoing those strengths, which could tweak me. Okay. So... And again, overdoing is when you're when you're using it and it's not working for others. So people who are very competitive, um, who are risk taking to the point where I get uncomfortable with the risk, mm-hmm. um, you know, those that kind of behavior can shut me down. Mm. And what I've really learned about myself is that's not fair to that person mm. because they're they're at the top for that person. They use them easily, and if I can just take a step back and honor that and understand that it's coming from a place of good. Mm. The intent behind its use is good. Just because I prefer not to use them in my everyday doesn't mean they're not valid. So I've really, I've learned that my communications in those moments where I'm perceiving someone as overdoing a strength um, that that doesn't come naturally to me has helped me not cause um, arguments Mm. (laughs) or uncomfortable situations in my communication. So it's really also allowing you to be more 
empathetic to to your listeners as well because you're saying this is really my thing this is my stress they're not trying to stress me out here it's just who i am exactly exactly talk to me a bit about this overdone strength concept uh this this was really fascinating to me and how does knowing what strengths are overdone also affect your communication Sure. Yeah. And this is a part that uh, when I go through people's results with them, sometimes they get a little bit tweaked Hmm. uh, by their overdone strengths. Because if you look at my overdone strengths, here's what's at the top. Self-sacrificing, arrogant, and stubborn. And that 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 really makes me sound kind of bad. It, it, it pisses you off. <laughs> right. You're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, right. And but that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is is that when I, I know that I can persevere more than many, many people. And when I do that mm-hmm. and it's not working for other folks that I'm doing it too. I can be looked at as very stubborn. Mm. That's been a benefit to me in the past because my perseverance has gotten me results where others would have given up. Mm-hmm. But I now know that, you know, very often I'm annoying people along the mm. way when I'm doing that. Mm. For you, uh, your top three overdone strengths, and again, well intended, are rash, abrasive, and rigid. So mm. uh, rash is your quick, you overdoing quick to act. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, People may think you're overlooking information that could be useful just because you hate to wait. What do you, does that, does that uh, resonate absolutely, with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that hits home hard. <laughs> and then your second overdone strength is abrasive, which is the flip side of being persuasive. Mm. So being so persuasive that you're actually disregarding others' views and maybe even dispute their concerns. So it's kind of like you enjoy a little bit of debate or negotiation, maybe a little bit too much in certain situations when it right. stops working for others and they view you as a bracelet. I love it. Yeah, I love that you can. I mean, look, we've always said this, right? Your strengths, you know, it's two sides of a coin and your strengths are your weaknesses. So knowing the, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be authentic, you, you almost have to, I, I'd imagine, expect to have some of this happen because what I'm hearing is that no style, just as you know, come to know your own audience. No style resonates with everyone, but that you almost have to be prepared mm-hmm. to take some of that in service of being authentic. That's what I'm, I took away from this. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, knowing what you're likely to overdo is just so useful mm-hmm. in, in, in helping keep, keeping communications and interactions from escalating. And also, you know, perception you know, people, you have to manage perceptions out mm-hmm. there in the business world, especially as a leader. So knowing right. when you're perceived and you could be perceived in a negative light and being able to uh, to realize when that may be happening so that you can make a decision to either minimize the intensity mm-hmm. or or stop using the strength, whatever's right in the moment can be very valuable. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you, you may have to self modify your communication because you say, look, you know, the downside of this being perceived in my case, for example, as abrasive or rash, I, or I have to take care that I don't create that perception. And so I'm going to say a few extra words just to say, Hey, you know, I want you to know, I'm really carefully considering this. So I want to, um, I want you to know that I've thought a lot about this, even if in the moment you may, you may be perceived as rash. So I can see that you can begin to then use language that signals that you're not overdoing in that area. Right. Right. And with me, with my perseverance being stubborn, I can help people understand, look, I really think we're close to this. If you can hang Mm -hmm. with me, 
a little bit longer, I think we're going to get the, the solution that we're all looking for that no one has to compromise on. Just and put up with me a bit more. Maybe get some agreement. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So in summary, Michael, you know, I'm taking away these these kind of three key things. I, I mean, I'm getting them from the assessment. Of course, if anyone wants to take the assessment with you, it's hugely valuable. But it sounds like even if you don't take the assessment, motives, know your motives, know the motives of your audience, conflict style, understand, you know, and what I like about your look into conflict styles, it's not just like you have one conflict style. You, you have this sequential look at conflict that you progress from kind of a baseline to being triggered. And then strengths, and I, I like, you know, know right. your strengths, but also know how your strengths can, in some cases, be perceived as not weaknesses, but can exacerbate conditions in relationships. So, yeah, super, super helpful there. I can see how all of those things shape communication. I guess that, you know, the, the question I'll, I'll kind of ask you to, to wrap on here and tie it together is, how much do people change? You know, when they, how much of this is about adapting your, when you know, have this knowledge about yourself and about your own, how much conscious adaptation do you do around your communication? Yeah, people, it's, you know, like with any assessment, that's been one of my complaints with most of the assessments that I've used in the past is like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I can see myself in now, now in that. Okay, now how do I actually use this information? Right to improve myself, to, to set a job, to set others up for success. And I've always fallen a little flat on a lot of the assessments I've taken in the past on that, because for one reason or another, I didn't carry it forward with this one, because I think that it really gets you thinking about others, not only yourself Mm -hmm. um, in your day-to-day communications, that your self-awareness just gets really heightened and and Mm -hmm. raised. And you're able to see how just a small tweak, a different word here or a better subject line or mm-hmm, starting mm-hmm. A, a difficult conversation a different way can really change the way things have been done in the past. Mm-hmm. So I see that happen with teams, not to push the assessment, but there are continuous learning tools in the assessment that actually give you communication tips for communicating in the right style mm-hmm. and things to avoid for the different motivational value systems. So the people who do take the assessment are actually able to have going, ongoing access to those tips, which are just reminders like, hey, remember, you know, Bart's a red green and here's the type of language right. that's going to resonate with him. And then here's the things that you can avoid to help him stay confident and happy and not get spin into conflict. Yeah. And that that's that's very helpful. I mean, I think this idea that it's not a wholesale transformation of who you are or how you communicate, but it just sharpens your ability to really understand your audience, understand what's going to resonate and understand where you yourself you know, maybe want to have that self-awareness around whether it's your conflict or your communication. And, and it just adds into all the work that you should already be doing to be an inspiring leader and communicator. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, super helpful. I, uh, I've i learned some things too about myself. It's, uh, I appreciate you putting me on your microscope. I'm sure a lot of people listening, Michael, are going to say, all right, you know, tell me about the assessment. How do I take it? And what does it cost? How do I go about it? What can you tell us? Sure. They can reach out to me anytime at my website, wearecomdia, that's C-O-M-D-I-A dot com. Be happy to talk to anybody who's interested uh, in the assessment. 
And then also, Bart, I want to thank you so much for letting me share your results publicly. Usually I do this privately. <laughs> so um, no, shame. no shame. No shame here. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Thanks awesome. a lot, Mike. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Okay. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael Paperno and the insights that he provided uh, with me as the guinea pig around relationship intelligence and how you can know yourself and know your audience and uh, communicate more effectively with them. Michael's a great resource. I encourage you to connect with him and uh, check out the links that we've provided in the show notes. Next time on the Inspire podcast, I'm pleased to welcome Colin Druhan. And Colin is the director of Pride at Work Canada. And he joins me to talk about the work that Pride at Work Canada is doing to really help organizations approach diversity, equity, and inclusion in a meaningful way. And so we talk about that so many organizations are asking the wrong questions and instead look at the questions that organizations and leaders should ask themselves if they really want to make an impact and support groups that really deserve to be heard, deserve to be seen, and uh, fully embraced in the workplace. And we're going to do this episode a little early. May 17th is the International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia. And so we're releasing the episode on that day in support of that very important cause. So hope you tune in next time for a powerful conversation with Colin Drew.